Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. That, of course, means it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up in the studio, I have to say good morning to A.B. Bishop. Good morning, A.B. Oh, good morning, Pam. Good Good morning, everyone. I was very excited coming in this morning, and I couldn't quite figure out why, other than that I had a fantastic latte in my hand. (laughs) And um, I realised that last week was hump day. The um, winter solstice yes. and now the mornings are getting lighter. That's slowly right. Slowly but surely because, you know, the the dead of winter, it's it's always very depressing when you get up, you know, so early in the morning. It really is black. I, I, I like to see that bit of uh, sunlight coming through the horizon when I'm driving in here, just that nice special. It does look. help. It does help, yeah. But um, at least it hasn't been too cold. Well, not for us yet. I think we've had one frost so far. Um, have friends in Canberra and they've had about seven frosts so far, which um, I'm thankful for. But, mm. um, yeah. I've had two frosts. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, and we're not that far away, so no, that's No, I know, but, but because I'm at the bottom of a hill, it all rolls down to my <gasps> garden. Yeah. Yes. Done any damage? Uh, well, it's knocked out the choco and it's it's knocked out the top of my chilli plant, but mm-hmm. I expect that to happen every winter. So Yeah, yes. yeah lucky chilli for hanging on that long. Well, yeah, but underneath I've still got, would you believe, I've still got green chilies hanging on the bush. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Yeah, I think once they're established, they really are quite hardy, aren't they? Well, this, this, one's, this one is a perennial chilli, yeah. Um, so yeah, provided I can keep the rest, any other frosts off it and then I'll just cut it back. Uh, in springtime and yep. and it'll off it'll it will go, go again. again. Yeah, yep. Yep, which is great. Well, I've wrapped my passion fruit this year because had so much trouble over the last few years. I've been putting them in a particular spot, you know, specifically for my passion fruit, nice raised bed, lots of, you know, really fertile soil and trellis system happening and it gets it all going over summer and it's wonderful and then, you know, come the first frost, bang, they're gone. Um, so I literally wrapped them up like I pretended I was in England. And I don't know if you guys, oh, you certainly have Pam been over there and they totally wrap their plants. Yes. Um, and, yes, yeah, so I've, I've done that with Hessian. And, right. And uh, they're hanging in there so Good. far. So, Good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Good morning, James Beatty. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, everyone. Oh, would you get any frost out your way? Oh, well, probably not much. Similarly, we're we're at the bottom of two hills. In even though we're in the suburbs, um, we do get the occasional frost. I reckon probably half a dozen a year, but it's got to be really, really cold for us to get them. Okay. Um, we get them more on our train station common near our local train station. We're oh, only yep. a two or three minute walk away. Yes. And it's really, really hard not to go out and traipse footsteps in this perfectly frosted little <laughs> patch of grass That's that you the walk That's the best past. fun of it, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> I have people looking at me quite strangely on the way to work on those mornings. <laughs> but you just, you can't stop yourself. You yeah. can't. Sometimes you just, you can't help interacting <clears throat> with nature. Um, whenever I drive past kangaroos, I always have to say, you know, good morning, hopsters or uh-huh. whatever, and have a, have a bit of a wave. And I had slowed the car a couple of days ago and was waving, having a chat. And I didn't realise there was a car behind me. And I'm sure they thought I was absolutely nuts <laughs> waving and having... Having a chat with his kangaroos on the side of the road. Well, but. at least it forced him to slow down 
Absolutely, too, yeah. Which is a good thing. Yeah, and, and a rare thing, I have to say, in yes. an area. Yes, so, yes. We just pretend you're on the phone. It's <laughs> free, it's fine. That's right, yeah. I'm not a strange person. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. We also have to say a very good morning to Jeremy Francis from Cloud Hill. Good morning, Jeremy. Good morning, Pam, and good morning, everyone. And you've got lots of exciting things coming up at Cloud Hill at the moment. Oh, uh, yes, yes. Uh, always uh, one or two things in the bubble. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so, uh, well, going to those a little bit as we uh, during the morning and. Um, well, what, uh, I, what I should mention um, to start off with is you've got some workshops up there next Saturday. Yes, yes. Well, yes, the one including me, which... <laughs> yes, it is including you. I hope you haven't forgotten. <laughs> but yes, yeah, there's, so, um, there's going to be a seeds workshop at yeah, 10.30 so, in the morning. Yeah, so seed sowing for beginners uh, right. in the morning and then there's me in the afternoon doing a, uh, well, design workshop and... Um, well, that can be that can. We'll see how the weather goes. If it's really nice, and if it's like say Friday, we'll walk around and and a uh, little crowd of us will walk around and just look at uh, things that we've been doing in Cloud Hill, and that's the best way of doing it. Uh, yes. But otherwise, it's a PowerPoint presentation, and <laughs> so we'll see. Well, at least you're organised. Yep. <laughs> But yes, no, and I'm sure um, people attending that workshop are also going to hear a bit of the history of Cloud Hill. Yeah, for sure. There's yeah. there's room for about uh, well, I, I was, I, there's uh, places left. Uh, they've um, I think they're about half the places left, and um, so people just need to get t- get in touch with diggers and uh, give them a hoy and um, come along on Saturday. Next Saturday. Okay. Well, I will, I will give out the phone number. It's 97510584. Now, there is a charge for the workshops. For members, um, which is, of course, of the uh, Diggers Club, $29. For non-members, $39 for uh, each workshop. And the workshops will run for approximately one and a half hours. So you do need to book. There are limited places for the workshops. So that number again is 97510584. Okay. Uh, Before I go any further, I should say a huge thank you to all our listeners. As most of them will realise, we had our annual Radiothon last uh, Sunday. And... uh, Lots and lots of uh, excitement, uh, spruiking, lots and lots of books, product, um, you name it, to entice our listeners. Thank you so much to everyone who contributed towards that uh, that Radiothon. And, uh, of course, uh, our staff uh, in the office there will still be working hard, sending out uh, receipts and product to anyone who did uh, contribute. But it doesn't mean you have to stop. If you were away last weekend or for some reason uh, couldn't get involved in the Radiothon, we still haven't quite reached our target. So uh, any contributions would be fantastic. And, of course, we still have product left over uh, to entice you with. We still have books. We still have gardening consultations. So there's lots there. If you just give the... uh, the staff a call during office hours, which is nine till five during the week. Um, they can go through what uh, what is still available and see if they can match you up with something that you would like, which would be fantastic. But as I say, a big thank you to everyone. It's always a huge day on our calendar. So, uh, and it's wonderful to try and keep the support coming in for for the station as a whole and to keep three CR gardening show. Alive and well for another twelve months, and covering all our all our costs, which of course um, it, it takes uh, ninety dollars to uh, 
to operate the station to broadcast for one hour. So uh, we do need that money to cover our costs for the next 12 months. So a big thank you to everyone. Okay, now uh, one person who did contribute last week, uh, and this is Neil, um, asked uh, a question for me to answer this week. So, Neil, I hope you're already up and listening. Um, But you wanted to know what's the best time of year to visit the National Rhododendron uh, Garden at Monbolk. Now, um, Jeremy, you might like to have a few thoughts on that. But um, uh, if if you go to the uh, National Rhododendron Gardens website, uh, the uh, gardeners up there do say that uh, in the beginning of August uh, is when you have all the daffodils coming out uh, and uh, camellias. Then throughout September... You also have the uh, flowering cherry blossoms. And uh, then in October and early November is when all the rhododendrons and azaleas are in full colour. So um, depending on what you want to see, um, you know, start planning it for springtime, whether it be um, August with the daffodils, September uh, with the cherry blossoms, uh, or October and early November with the rhododendrons and azaleas. So... Neil, I hope that's answered your question for yeah, you. You could actually go along about once every four weeks, I reckon. And see a different... And, and starting in yes. July, I yes. reckon starting late July for the, the big forest rhododendrons because they're kicking off then, the, okay. the big grandy rhododendrons, and it's a good collection of those. And uh, so August, the arboreums, and there's a huge collection of those. And, uh, of course, uh, the Woolwich family who had Cloud Hill in the early days uh, up until when we started back in 1992, um, they were amongst the nurserymen who planted out the rhododendron gardens back in the okay. 60s. So, right. so the, the, I, I kind of, I always think possibly our collection of arboreum rhododendrons dates back to that time. Okay. And, um, but arboreums in uh, August, uh, September, in fact, they flower all the way through. They're the most extraordinary things. Arboreum delavei is the national flower of Nepal. It's stunning, stunningly mm. beautiful thing. Um, September, October, November, all the locals actually go Melbourne Cup weekend okay. right at the end of the season. Right. Uh, some of the last of the rhododendrons, the flower are the most spectacular. And by the end of November, there's hardly anything left. So it all it peaks and then disappears. Yes, yes. yes. but they get in before end of November. And they're such beautiful gardens anyway to just have a wander around, aren't they? I mean, oh, really, yeah. any season mm. and the views across the valley and it's 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 a lovely I, I, spot. I suppose for people who have not been in several years too, it's worthwhile having a look right now, in particular, in that the uh, um, Parks Victoria, who of course run the rhododendron gardens, actually did a survey of the uh, plants in their collection and discovered they've actually got a number of rhododendrons almost extinct in the wild, much to their astonishment. And so the collection of rhododendrons at the National Rhododendron Gardens is of world significance. Mm. Uh, And on the strength of that, they uh, uh, squeezed a bit of money into putting someone in charge there who did a tremendous job in raising the standard of the maintenance. And uh, so the rhododendron gardens actually, to my mind, is is much better now than it was, say, four or five years back. Mm. Fantastic. So that, that's quite exciting. They, yes. they've, they've getting quite big crowds. <laughs> no, that's wonderful. And, and so, so Parks Victoria have the interesting puzzle of quite how they where they go from here with, oh. the, with the quite substantial crowds they're getting, especially when the cherries are flowering. Oh, yes, I'm sure, yes. <laughs> I think more and more, I mean, these days people are realising the importance of 
uh, flora and faunal collections, really, aren't we? You know, and um, I, I was, you know, a few months ago up in Alice Springs and their desert park there, and you know, it's, it is a tourist facility, but, facility, but it's also a research and conservation facility. You know, and they they've got collections from basically all over Central Australia and um, seed banks and everything, and you know, they're part of the Q Seed Bank project as well, and. Uh, it's so important, you know, with um, you know, just to keep that diversity alive. Mm. Yes, absolutely, and it, it goes back to the history of, of uh, gardening a little bit. In that, after the Second World War, and the, uh, the people in England didn't have the money to maintain the big gardens there, and so there was a swing towards rhododendrons because they're such low maintenance mm. plants. Yes, and so there was tremendous enthusiasm during the fifties, sixties, seventies. And uh, and it was that time that uh, quite a large number of nursery people and private enthusiasts were putting together this incredible collection they have. Mm. And as I said, Parks Vic have suddenly discovered, blimey, they've got this really important collection of rhododendrons. They better do something about them. <laughs> Good. Hmm. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to get to uh, – we've only got a couple of community announcements, but I will get to them now. Um, next Saturday, which of course is the 4th of July, uh, Pepper Tree Place are having their, um, their monthly incredible edible, uh, food swap. Now this is always held on the first Saturday of every month, 10 o'clock through till 2 o'clock. And, uh, they have a theme for, uh, next Saturday and it's Indigenous Shared Country Celebration. Now they're running a series of workshops from 11 till 11.30, there's going to be a workshop on Indigenous plants in the nursery. That's with uh, Natasha Van Velzen. Then at 11.30, uh, you can join uh, in by the fire for a welcome and teaching with traditional Wurundjeri elder Ian Hunter. 12.30, there's going to be an Indigenous performer, Carol Carpeny, uh, and she'll be singing and playing the guitar and didgeridoo. Um, all day there's going to be an information stall with Ian Bloomfield from Kildonian Uniting Care uh, about the Koori Energy Efficiency Project. And at 1.20 to 2.55, um, you can do chair yoga with Trudy Radburn. There's a $5 charge with that one. Uh, but, of course, their pop-up Pepper Tree Cafe will be running and uh, there'll be lots of Indigenous plants for sale in their nursery. So that's all happening next Saturday at Pepper Tree Place. Now that's at 512 Sydney Road in Coburg. It's actually on the corner of Sydney Road and Bell Street there in Coburg and it's free entry. Now uh, two more things that are on and these are both for uh, Friends of Burnley Gardens. Firstly, um, again this year, <coughs> they're going to be running a six-week course of botanical art workshops. This is with Marley Moore. And uh, it's, uh, it's an, a special opportunity for um, Friends of Burnley Garden members and friends. Uh, small class size. She's using the Burnley Gardens as inspiration. Um, and she starts the workshops by helping you to create a measured drawing that you shade to a tonal drawing and then you paint with watercolour paints. Um, now, it's taking place. It's starting on Wednesday the 22nd of July running right through to the 26th of August. So it's a six-week course, um, 10 a.m. through to 1 p.m. Uh, with the instructor, and then there's optional free time until 3 p.m. Now, for the six-week course, for members of Friends of Burnley Gardens, $300 plus materials. For non-members, 
$390 plus materials. Of course, it all takes place at Burnley campus, uh, part of the University of Melbourne there at 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond. It will take place in room PSL 6. Now, bookings, of course, are essential and uh, your booking and payment must be made before the 12th of July, so not that far away. Uh, to book, you can phone Janine on 0412-097-068. That's 0412-097-068. Now, the other thing that uh, Friends of Burnley Gardens have got coming up is their next plant sale. This is taking place on Sunday, July the 26th, 10 o'clock through till 4 o'clock. Um, I'll mention this, of course, over the next couple of weeks before that date. They're going to have um, a range of native, exotic and produce plants. The location will be the Citriodora Lawn at Burnley Campus. This one's behind the Student Union, union Building there. Uh, parking in Yarra Boulevard and payment will be by cash only. So that's uh, one for the diaries on Sunday, July 26th, 10 through till 4 o'clock. All right, it's uh, more than time that we opened up our lines for talkback. If you'd like to phone in and ask a gardening question this morning, do give us a call. We've got Jeremy Francis from Cloud Hill. We've got AB. We've got James Beatty from um, ABC Gardening Australia. And uh, you can give us a call on 94190155. That's 94190155. Or this morning, we have Derek on the outside line. If you'd like to have a chat to Derek, you can uh, ring him on 94198377. You've brought in some plants, AB. I have, and um, none of them are natives, I have to say. So, That's a surprise. Um, it is a surprise, yeah. It, it is a surprise. What's but, happening? Um, well, I've, I think I've gone a little bit herbal. Okay. You know, everything that I've brought in, um, I suppose I wouldn't mind talking about this one first, this rather dangerous one, which we'll leave in the bag. Mm. And I, I know it's it's been around for a long time and, uh, well, people have been using it for a long time. It's uh, stinging nettle. Right. Um, and um, But thanks to various uh, loads of horse poo that we've been using okay. over the past few years, it's, it's fairly new to our garden. We've only had it the last couple of seasons. And as most people will know, it, it really can carpet an area. And last year I literally just pulled it out and, and um, chucked it in the compost. But this year I thought, oh, you know, I'll give, a bit, give it a bit of a go mm-hmm. um, in the kitchen. And I've uh, been using it just as, as spinach replacement and also for, for herbal tea. Mm-hmm. And um, what I didn't know is that um, the the stinging nettle itself, those little hollow hooks, which, you know, cause so much distress when we even vaguely look at the plant, let alone touch it, um, they contain a, a histamine, which is what uh, reacts with our skin. But they also contain serotonin. I was really surprised to read that. that. No, and at no point do I feel good when I'm touching this plant. So (laughs) I was really surprised to learn that. But I have to say I was surprised the tea, because a lot of the times, you know, when you use these herbal plants for um, teas, you know, straight out of the garden, they can taste a little bit grassy and and a bit too earthy. But this one had a really nice sort of mellow, lingering flavour. So, and, And I literally just crushed the leaves and chucked them in boiling water and... 
um, and then drank it and it was wonderful. Mm. Yeah. Do mm. you use it, James? Cause... No, no. I, I have it popping up in my garden all the time and I think it's, you know, bringing in outside manures and stuff that carries the seed in it. Um, yeah. But someone told me once that it's it, it's kind of an indicator plant that if you if you move into a rental place and there's lots of stinging nettle, it's a good sign that a gardener's lived there before. That's right. Um, well, it, they do. They, apparently it grows in fairly um, nitrogen-rich soil, mm, which mm. Um, made sense to me because we've got chickens and it's growing you know where the chickens are yep. pooing and um yeah so but i'm making use of it mm. this time and I, i've never eaten it to be to be honest yeah never but i'd well i'd like to give it a go i know millie ross is a big fan of it yeah. i'm a big fan too um, yeah right, that's fantastic right. because as soon as you um blanch it with or even just pour boiling water over <laughs> it the sting's gone mm. um so it's really easy to use so if you just want to Quickly pour boiling water over it and then toss it into some um, chilled water. You can you can actually toss it through in your salads. Oh, that's a good. But I, I I like incorporating it with scrambled eggs. It's fantastic, oh, yum. and that's it's clever. it's yep. it's got a really amazing flavor. Right. It's and it's of course it's it's highly nutritious and really good for you. So um, yeah, well, it's one of those plants which is really high in protein, which was interesting, and I think. Um, for, for its dry weight, it contains 25% protein, which that's, is really high for, yes. for a green plant. Yeah. Yeah. But, and lots of other minerals and vitamins as well, of mm-hmm. course. But, um, and it's meant to be good for your digestion and good for your urinary tract and supposedly good for arthritis. So I think, yeah, there's a lot of... Mm. Lot of but, I mean, I haven't been as brave as you yet just pouring um, boiling water over it. I've boiled the bejesus out of my... No, no, <laughs> I don't want to take any chances. You seriously don't need to. Really? Yes, really. Some people are online, you know, people are saying, oh, you can even just soak it in cold water and it gets rid of the sting. But uh, no, I haven't, haven't been that brave Well, see, yet. I virtually just fold it through at the last minute with my scrambled eggs. It only gets heat for, you know, just till it's it's warmed through virtually. Right. Mm. Um, but I will say one, one thing, you do need to... Pick it in early spring. You need the young leaves yeah. because after that it gets very bitter. Yeah. Once it starts forming seed, forget it. Mm. It doesn't taste at all nice. So you, you really need the new young spring leaves. Yeah, yeah. They say under under a foot high is the best yes, time to, definitely. to get them. And ours are little at the moment, so I'm just running around cutting them off and using them, which is it's rather nice. It's nice um, because I thought, oh, you know, less greens to buy at the market. You mm. know, don't worry oh, yes. about the spinach and the silver beet as much. But the the girls, the hens, don't they're not interested in it at all. Mm. Apparently if you chop it up really fine, it's good for them and they'll eat it. But they, they pretty much ignore it. So, And, of course, the rabbits don't want to know it, so, which is um, rather distressing. But at least it gives us a green for winter that I don't have to worry about. Exactly, just, yes. Just keeps growing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, what else have you brought in, Avi? Oh, now I've brought... In, Graham Morrison brought in a couple of seedlings a little while ago and I popped them in their chia. Oh, and um, I was really <laughs> excited. They're a subtropical plant um, well, from southern Mexico and Guatemala and um, I use chia all the time in the kitchen and, you know, absolutely everything. Um, very good for thickening gravy but, of course, also in smoothies and mixed with coconut milk and cacao for making a really nice dessert. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I thought I'd give them a go and they've grown to just over a metre, salvia, um, salvia hispanica, I think they are. Um, so fairly typical looking salvia plant or typical to me, I don't know all the salvias, um, you know, with those really lovely, um, tall flower spikes, um, purple, purple flowers, Mm. um, nice bright green leaves. So it is a handsome looking plant and, um, but 
you know, it's, it's at the stage now. I, I thought the harvesting the seeds would be really tricky, but it's not. It's just a matter of picking. I've actually picked this a little bit early, but you wait until they really brown off, and then you just crush them while you're holding them over a sieve, and the and the seeds fall through. Right. Um, so yeah, that I grew two of those. So thanks to Graham for those. They they were very successful, and I mean they're fine. I've just had them in. Um, fairly rich sort of loamy soil they're in with the passion fruits at the moment and um quite happy there well draining um but yeah probably prefer a full sun position but nice you know they brought the bees in um Mm. so the bees Mm. were happy with them and um yeah and pretty useful plants so they look good and um and useful Mm. so i'm excited i'm going to be growing more of them Okay, but you know, the second the cold weather came in, yes, you know, they hung on and hung on. And then I went out one morning; the leaves were just gone. Yes, that was it. It was all over. Yes, but uh, yeah, I was pretty excited. Yeah, pretty Good. impressed. So presumably, you've saved some of the seed. Uh, no, I haven't yet, but I am going yes. to be. It's, they're still fine. You know, they're still sort of growing a bit. So okay. I'm going to leave it to, for as long as possible, and then yeah, then harvest the seed. Yep. So. Excellent. So, so reasonably sunny position. It here. is. Well, we're in a valley, yeah. but it does say that they prefer a sunnier to slightly shaded position, which is pretty much what they get. Um, they maybe get more shade than they than they would like, but yeah. So any idea of what altitude they grow in the wild? Uh, well, yeah, southern Mexico to and Guatemala, so... Wherever that is, yeah. <laughs> how, how high it's up? A, it's, a, it's a subtropical yeah, plant, so that, but, but I, pretty. I, I once was invited to a garden full of salvias, and uh, all of them um, tropicals oh, and right. liking shade and uh, shelter from wind, and all of them growing about two meters high, and fairly amazing. Mm. Yeah, about fifteen, twenty species. Wonderful. Uh, never seen anything like it before, but it, it just shows what a huge family the salvias oh, are. Oh, absolutely. You know, they, of course, you think of the sagebrush plains, <laughs> and most of them um, preferring dry conditions, but some like moisture and shade. Yeah, mm. yeah. It, it's funny, isn't it, when we grow it with a particular plant? I mean. I grew up just with the, you know, I don't even know what they are, the very standard red salvias and um, in my grandmother's garden. And, and then you realise that there's this whole other world out there. I remember when mm. Jane did a story on them a few years ago, Jane Edmondson, and I was like, absolutely blown away and it's the same with any genera really isn't yeah, it you know is, you're yeah. always surprised that you know you might have your own little banksias or something in the garden then you go out into the wild and there's you know huge trees and ground covers and you think mm. wow the plant mm. world is just unbelievable mm. just yeah quite exceptional with the diversity a few weeks ago i brought in um salvia tequila which has that beautiful red flower and that deep purple, almost black brack to the flower. Oh, and that, that gets two or three metres high quite mm. easily and likes oh, a bit of shade. Oh, remember you yeah, yeah. talking about I've, it and you were going to chop it back, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've let it flower for a bit. But it just started when I was on a few weeks ago um, and it likes growing just on the drip line of a canopy of an ornamental pear that I've got down the side of the house. So during the summer, it gets quite a lot of shade. Yes. And then when it begins flowering in winter, the tree loses its leaves and it just takes off. It's, you know, it's to the the perfect spot for it. And I've got another one about two metres away that gets a lot more sun and the leaves get a little bit burnt in the su- in the summer and things like that. So, yeah, there are lots of shade-tolerant species in the family. Yeah. Mm. Just got me thinking as to what I'm going to do with it. So maybe I'll just chop it down and, and see if it reshoots again mm, in I was going to ask if it was a perennial. Or a, yeah, yeah, I'll have to give oh, it's it a It's worth go. having an experiment Absolutely, with. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chop it back and <laughs> yeah, see terrific. what happens. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jeremy, we should we should talk about um, your 
big event that's coming up in the gardens because um, well, I'm sure it's already half installed, isn't well, it? Well, yes, it's, it's, it's kind of caught us by surprise. Basically, we're doing a, an art in the winter garden show mm-hmm. and um, it started to happen a few weeks ago and uh, we've... Uh, yes, how, how did this happen? Uh, but we've had a number of pieces, uh, big sculptural pieces by Anton Brunsma, and one of those sold uh, two or three months back. And Anton's from Queensland, so it's a big deal from him to come down from his studio and do anything. But this was so big, it needed a tripod and uh, to move it. And Goodness. <laughs> and um, anyway, so he came down a, a, a few weeks ago to um, do that job. As he was coming, he said, dude, would you like me to bring anything more? And I said, oh, one or two pieces, if you like, Anton. Anyway, he arrived with half a truckload, of course. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we, we have ten pieces, which we promptly installed into one section of the gardens. In fact, we're calling it the gallery walk on the strength of all these pieces. They look pretty amazing. Mm. And... Um, uh, straight away, we did a ring around to one or two other people, and um, and suddenly we've got uh, work by six different artists. Wow! Um, and finally, the the last of the artists to bring work along will be Ian Ma. He's coming in a two or three weeks, in a couple of weeks' time from, and he's in New South Wales. Most of our artists are local. Uh, Rudy Jass is uh, just um, down in Kilsyth, and um, Ted Seckham, Yarra Glen, and Rob Barron, uh, he um, gooseneck pottery down in uh, just out of Corumburra and Gippsland, and Graham Foot, Graham and Angie have Hawthorne Gallery, Hawthorne. Um, but Ian Maher, um, he has um, uh, he's an old station man from way back actually, <laughs> comes from Will Kenya, right? Mm. Uh, but he. Um, uh, very early on, he became interested in well. He met up with a fellow called Hamilton Finlay uh, in Scotland. Right. And Hamilton Finlay has made this most extraordinary garden. In fact, if I was asked uh, to name the six most important gardens of the last 50 years, well, Little Sparta made by Hamilton Finlay would be one of them. And it's a garden full of poetry. And um, Ian spent some time with Hamilton Finlay back in the 70s and, and was so inspired he spent the rest of his life... Uh, learning how to carve uh, carved text into to, um, into stone, into slate and, and sandstone, and um, and he's been um, doing that and one or two other things ever since. Anyway, he's coming down in a couple of weeks' time and completing a piece that uh, uh, we have sitting in the end of our car park at the moment, right? <laughs> uh, which is half complete, and um, and uh, also bringing a few smaller pieces. And so, so it's it's all very spontaneous, really. <laughs> Something we weren't expecting at all, but somehow we've fallen into it. So we're thinking, well, art always looks most interesting in the winter garden. And so all we've got to do is persuade people to rug up and come along and really enjoy it. So, but but as I said, we we have worked by well six different artists now. Wow, Ted Second, for instance, who who does beautiful crystalline glazed porcelain pieces, um, he's made three fountains that we have on display in our pond. And uh, now we used to do exhibitions with Ted years and years back, um, but uh, this is the first first work we've had by Ted in, well, about 10 years. 
Um, so very exciting because he's doing some amazing work. He's, he's just had two pieces accepted into the Australian uh, National Gallery, into their Fantastic. collection, which is not something which happens every day. Oh, gosh, no. Um, and uh, so to have three of his fountains is a little bit of a coup. Oh, yes. Wow. So um, anyway, we're inviting anyone who would like to come along this winter to rug up and, and enjoy the show. About, well, 80% of it's in, in place already, but because there's so many people involved and coming from so many various <laughs> so many different directions and travelling quite a lot of distance, it's all been happening in drips and drabs. Um, but from, well, about the 10th or so of July, it will be entirely in place. And um, But it's about 80%, 90% of the way there right now. Okay. Mm. And Jeremy, so, is there a, a, a flyer that people can walk around with to explain the art? We um, we do have something which the uh, diggers, uh, people in the shop are handing out to people, uh, which is a, a catalogue, and, um, and, and um, we... we uh, we intend to have a little display with a CV of the, the various artists involved because there are some very, very interesting people amongst them. Mm. Now, Ian in particular with his, uh, uh, well, I could spend the whole program <laughs> talking about what he's been doing. That uh, He actually does about four or five different things altogether. He's, he also, for instance, is bringing some paintings which uh, we'll have in the restaurant and he's just uh, had an exhibition in a major Sydney gallery so he does a bit of writing in his spare time so he's a man of all parts goodness yes Mm. and is the art for sale oh yes it's all for sale wonderful so we'll have it and the the plan is to it will be a kind of a medium to long term display um, which we'll build up each autumn so we'll actually run it as a um, as a winter show from now on uh, we've always had a little bit, but we're, we're just going to... Well, we have time now with Diggers taking over the uh, the nursery. We have time for other things. So yes. this is an obvious thing. Wonderful. Mm, a great chance for people to actually see the art in place and yeah. in, a, in Absolutely. an environment. Yeah. And, and that would look so wonderful in a, in a structural winter garden. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yes, yeah. Mm. perfect timing. Yeah, we uh, when we were running, we we're, were doing quite a few big ex- exhibitions back in the late nineties, and uh, you know, eight, ten, twelve years back, and we always tried to run them either in the spring or the uh, autumn. The autumn ones were particularly effective, and late autumn running into early winter. Mm. Uh, but art in the winter garden, you just do need to rug up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Do you? <laughs> Can do that. Just going to say, do the artists have any particular position where they prefer to see their art exhibited, and is there that sort of collaboration with them? Absolutely, yes. It's uh, there's uh, um, uh, um, that's generally about fifty percent of every piece, actually. Yep. And certainly with all the artists, and as soon as you say that, I'm trying to think of any of them who were quite happy just to drop the pieces in the car park and leave us to it. No, none of them. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> no, that's they, good they, to they know, were, isn't it? Yes, yeah. yes. So they uh, actually placing the piece was an important part of the uh, of the uh, project. Yeah. With a stone piece in the car park, um, can people see the artist completing it? Because he said it. Yes, yeah, yes. Um, Ian will be working on over a couple of days. We're not too sure which days, but round about the ninth, tenth, eleventh. But if anyone's particularly interested, they're welcome to give us a ring closer to the time and we'll know exactly what the schedule will be. It'll depend a little bit on the weather. 
but it'll take him about two days working on it. Mm. And the most extraordinary thing about Ian is he, he sort of works away and chats to people the whole oh, time. No. And, and, and it's unnerving. It's absolutely <laughs> unnerving. Like spelling mistake, would you? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 well, um, yeah. Uh, but uh, it's quite intricate work that he's been doing of so many years. It's just automatic. And, and uh, But I've, I've, I've watched him working on a piece two, three, four days, and uh, and the stone itself is quite a few dollars worth, and the, the work, the hours that have gone in are quite considerable. And there he is chatting away with someone on a... On, on, on some matter entirely unrelated and he doesn't miss a beat as he's working <laughs> he doesn't stop wow. and I'm, I'm, I've got my heart and mouth the whole time <laughs> and his own poetry I assume yes his own poetry but he incorporates uh, he does all sorts of things so he's done a series of tables uh, incorporating uh, um, um, well words from popular music um, Leonard Cohen, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, a particular line inscribed around a, a, a big picnic table. Um, garden benches with, again, um, sometimes just two or three words, uh, sometimes uh, something more elaborate. Mm. Uh, it's interesting work. And it's something which is not just Hamilton Finlay in Scotland. Hamilton Finlay, uh, he, he was making his gun from about the 60s through to, well, he died four or five years back, but he, he's working over about 30 years. But Hamilton Finlay, it's, it's an amazing garden made around a little farmhouse in the Pentland Hills uh, near Edinburgh um, and absolutely full of poetry. Um, but... Hamilton Finlay actually composed the poetry and then in, uh, he commissioned other people to do the work. Mm. Ian Marr, there's two Ians in this story, of course, Ian Marr actually does everything himself, yeah. uh, chooses the, the work uh, um, or, or develops the work and then, and, and then, const- and then constructs the piece. Mm. Wonderful. Mm. Yeah. So, good fun. Oh, Come yes. along and see. Yes, Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, so, so early July, around about the uh, 9th, 10th, 11th or so. Um, but if people want to know exactly when yes, Ian's working just, on the yeah, piece, just, just give you a Just call. give us a hoy and, yep. and uh, uh, a few days beforehand, uh, well, two or three days beforehand, just, and it depends a bit on the weather. Yep. And which number should they ring on, Jeremy? Um, well, either number, but possibly just ring me on the, the old number, 97511009. Okay. It's voicemail and I'll bring back. Yep. Excellent. All right. Um, Just a reminder to everyone, if you'd like to join in the discussion this morning, do give us a call. The number to ring, if you'd like to talk to the team on air, 94190155, or to speak to Derek on the outside line, 94198377. James, you've also brought in some... Bits and pieces. I bought in a little a little special plant that I picked up late last week. Um, it's a South African bulb, uh, Albuca spiralis, and um, for people at home, spiralis, the species name, um, is given to this little bulb for its foliage, which looks like little curly hairs coming out the top of it, which get quite extensive as it gets older, um, and... It, it, it kind of sits a little bit out of the soil like uh, something like haymanthus might, the paintbrush lily. Um, 
and the flowers on it when it when it does flower, it'll probably take about three or four years to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not dissimilar to um, snowdrops, but they've okay. got a, they've got a bit of a they've got a yellow hue to them, but yes. they've got a very similar very similar floral structure. Um, but I've been I've been slowly developing this a bit of an obsession, I guess, with um, South African South African bulbs. Um, they seem to be very well suited to um, our climate. Um, they're, they're pretty easy to grow as long as you give them fantastic drainage. And um, we did a story with a bloke in um, Western Australia, actually, Bob Dewar, his name is. Um, and he, he grows quite a lot of them. And he says that the mix that he uses for them is, totally, um, is a total mineral mix. He doesn't put any, any organics in it at all. Okay. Um, so they're, they're really, really tough. If, they, if you're going to kill them, you're going to kill them with kindness kind of thing. Yes. Um, but they go through periods of, of dormancy that can be quite long, um, several months. So um, you've got to be patient with them. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're, just, they're a fascinating group of plants that, um, that every, time, every time I see something that's a bit of a – I always think of it as a botanical weirdo or a freak, you know. It turns out it's this it's it's a plant from Africa and it's, you know, these these bulbs are just are just fantastic. Um and there's an, there's another one that I've got at home, but I've got it in a I've got it in quite a large pot, so it's not it's not particularly transportable, but um it's got the very unlikely name of Boophony distica. Um and it has this fan arrangement of foliage coming out of the bulb, but the leaves are twisted around um, into a spiral. It looks it looks like something from another planet. You know? Right. It's really, really great. Um, so, yeah. So, so good idea for potted specimens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They yeah. go really, really well in pots. Yeah. Um, how, so how big will that one grow? That'll get about, oh, I think the, the diameter of it will probably be around probably 15 or 20 centimetres, but mm-hmm. it'll, it'll, take, it'll take 10 years to get to that size. Yes. Um, I'm just thinking if you're trying to get kids in, encouraged and gardening, oh, they, that they kind of thing, you know, that really Mr. Yes. Curly plant, yeah, you could call absolutely. it really, couldn't you? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. But fantastic, fantastic little plants. And, yes. Yeah, slowly, slowly building up the collection that I've got at home. Wonderful. And just great. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, Stephen always says, you know, the, the worst enemy of, of bulbs is the garden fork. So you do need to know where you've put them. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly if they have long periods of dormancy. <laughs> yeah, so putting them in pots, pots would be a is good a good idea. idea. But, I, yeah. but I wonder if they come from such that really mineral-rich sort of soil, mm-hmm. so well-draining. I wonder, you know, even the... Um, um, I mean, what potting mix would you use? Would you use just a? When I've been potting them on, I've been using I've been using just a kind of a bog standard succulent mix that yeah. I've that I've put um, a bit of perlite and quite a bit of gravel in. Yeah. Um, I'd I'd probably use around um, a third perlite, a third gravel, and a third of a of a um, succulent potting mix. Okay. Yeah. Um, so with the gravel, is that one with fines in it that sort of um, will hold a bit of moisture, or yeah, just a really free draining? It's it's quite a it's quite a chunky one. There aren't yeah. there aren't many small fines in it, so yeah. it is going to drain really really sharply. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think I think the gravel mainly gives the mix a bit of structure because the potting mix will break down over mm. a certain amount of time, but the yeah. gravel's really going to help it to give it a bit of structure as that's happening, and it's yes. not going to become compacted and that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. I think that's the role that it plays, um, but yeah, they're they're extremely easy things to grow, and they look they look great, and they're a good novelty, and they make oh, a good yes. centerpiece on the table when oh, you're having yeah. a dinner party Absolutely. or something. You know, yeah, yes. they're great. Yeah, and there's a, there's a lady who lives not that far from me. I walk past her house when I take the dog out quite often, and um, 
I was really surprised to see quite a large... Um, it was like a flowering clump of um, the Josephine lily. Um, it's Brunvigia Josephine, and that's another South African bulb. But that'll take that'll take thirty years to get to a flowering stage. So this lady's had it in her garden for quite a long time, no doubt. Um, and I keep on meaning to go and knock on her door. Oh, and have you a absolutely cup of tea need to. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about <laughs> when should that I plan? come back? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Well, I'm delighted to say that uh, we have online Kevin Walsh, our very good friend Kevin Walsh, who's uh, manager of horticulture with Greater, Greater Metropolitan Cemeteries Trust. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, Pam. Now, Kevin, you're doing it all over again this year. Yeah. Yeah, we had so much fun last year, we thought we'd do it again. We had a big success last year. We ran rose pruning demonstrations. And, and of course, a cemetery is the perfect place to run them because you've got so many rose bushes. That's right, that's right. We have 18 cemeteries, and of those, only two don't have roses. Goodness. One being Northern Memorial Park, which is all Australian native. But, um, and some of our... Cemeteries have got literally thousands. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. So if you went to count the roses at Faulkner Memorial Park, which people will know is in Sydney Road there, there's about 14,000 roses. Goodness. I hope you've got a big staff, Kevin. (laughs) No, no, no. no. It takes quite a while to get through it. And nowadays they use uh, battery-charged pruners. All right. Backpacks. Yes. But, uh, yes, there's a lot of rose pruning expertise in the cemetery, so um, we're going to tap into that and um, pass on that knowledge to the public. Excellent. Now, you've got uh, three different um, uh, cemeteries or memorial parks that you're uh, going to be uh, running these in this year. Yep, that's right. We've shows the spread, but also allows people, whether they're in the east or in the west or in the north, to get to one of our um, demonstrations Mm -hmm. a couple of weekends. Excellent. Now, uh, the first one's coming up on the uh, next Sunday, in fact, the 5th of July. This is going to be out at Lilydale Memorial Park, um, 10 o'clock through till 11.30. Yep, and uh, it's pretty easy to find, um, although unusually that... um, Victoria Road's actually got two cemeteries in it, the Lawn Cemetery and the newer one, the Memorial Park, so get to that. Right. There's a very large rose garden in the centre there. It's called the Melba Rose Garden, Mm -hmm. and I'll be doing that demonstration. Um, Usually we take a little bit of time to explain, uh, you know, about the, the tools and the general care of the roses as well as then going into actually showing people how to prune and going right through... Um, you know, from from start to a finished rose, and uh, usually do a standard and a, a bush. And if we can find a climber, we'll even show people how to do a climber as well. Fantastic! Now your other two are then uh, the following Sunday, the twelfth of July. You, you're out at Altona Memorial Park, and uh, then uh, members of your team will be at Faulkner Memorial Park. That's right, um, in uh, Sydney Road. Um, look. The Altona one's fairly easy to find once you get into the um, uh, Altona Memorial Park, you can find the Rose Garden. Mm-hmm. In Faulkner, uh, remembering that there are 14,000 roses yes. there, um, once you book, they will give you an explanation of where the Rose Prone demonstration is uh, going to happen. Helen and Christina uh, are running that one. Um, they 
have been um, with the cemetery, I think, Helen, about 18 or 19 years, and I think Christine, about 23 years. Gosh, so they've done it all before. So their expertise is phenomenal. Yes. Um, and um, they're happy to answer questions about other parts of our parks as well. Fantastic. Now, I can't believe it's a it's a free event. Yes. You're also providing light refreshments, yep. and would you believe complimentary gift bags? Yes, yes. Now, that's I'm amazing. coming along after hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, we got some, um, Christine organised some support from um, one of the companies that um, we buy our fertiliser off. There's mm-hmm. little samples of that and a little kit on, oh, you know, a little uh, information flyer on, on the tips for the rose pruning. But, look, it's part of what we're doing as an organisation to demystify the cemeteries a bit as well. Yes. You know, so people see us um, as public parks as well as memorial mm. places. Yes. Um, and people come in and have a look around or, you know, have an opportunity to ask questions and, and not just visiting when there's a funeral service on or, you know, visiting a loved one mm. might have. So, you know, um, and, you know, we we do um, morning teas and so on for, for funeral services and so on, memorials, so people get an idea of the, the function rooms we have and so on. So that all works out very well for us and, and for the community as well. So, yeah. Absolutely. Now, there are limited places, so uh, it is essential that people do RSVP. Yeah, look, the, the thing is that with any sort of, you know, gardening demonstration, um, you find that if you've got too many people, then they won't be able to see what you're actually trying to show. Exactly. So that's why we like to limit it. helps us with the catering as well, but it's really more so that the people who come along can actually all get up close um, to the demonstration and, and see the action. Excellent. Uh, now, for the first one, which is next Sunday, you do need people to uh, reply by the 3rd of July uh, to give you a couple of days to organise catering and everything. Now, um, to, to reply to this, to say you're coming along, uh, there's a phone number, 9355-3106. That's 9355-3106. Or you can email events at gmct.com.au. So that's events at gmct.com.au. Now, um, Kevin, it also says, um, uh, the well, obviously, hands-on demonstration by the staff, and, and you can ask them uh, any questions you'd like, not just about the actual rose pruning, but about... about um, the uh, the cemeteries in general and uh, and uh, just any other other well you, you're going to talk about rose care in general as well so anything they can think of to ask about rose care as well yep yep and um, when they book it's important to let us know which function they're coming to so um, you know that that they say, oh, I want to be at the Lilydale demonstration or the Altona or the Faulkner one so yes. we know which one um, but. Look, I've given a couple of talks around garden clubs and so on about the plants we grow at our cemeteries, and invariably there's a lots of questions about everything else to do with cemeteries as well. It's a I'm fascinating, sure. yes. fascinating um, area. Um, and, um, and it's an area, Kevin, that's been taboo for so yeah. long, and you've really opened it up to the community since you've, since you've taken over as manager of horticulture. I, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, and look, you know... Um, it's good that people come along and and um, get a feel for the staff and the care that the staff 
have for their role um, and um, understand a little bit about the business of the cemetery, if you like, when they're not in an emotional state either. Yes. You know. Yes. So um, yeah. So all good. And 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 look out occasionally uh, every year or two. There's also sort of an open cemetery days um, where people can actually talk to burial staff and stuff as well. Fantastic. Oh, Kevin, it's AB here. I was just yes. wondering, are you the person that chooses the roses for the cemetery? Uh, no, that's usually uh, done by the staff of the particular cemetery. We have a standard, not a standard list, we have a fairly narrow list that's developed over decades by the staff, depending on which ones really succeed well, um, because most of our roses are standard. Yeah. Um, so there's some that you'll see repeated a bit because they do so well, like Oklahoma. Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't been to a cemetery other than for going to a funeral. Um, so I just, I, I really love the idea of bringing the public in to actually enjoy and, and see the gardens. And I, I didn't have any idea that that's something that you were able to do. So, um, and I was just wondering though, is the Rose area, is that where people scatter ashes? Usually with the rose areas in cemeteries, the ashes are in a container, a canister. Yeah. It's buried at the foot of the rose. Oh, okay. Now, so our roses have a particular additional emotional value, if you like. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at a rose garden, but you're actually looking at something that's a memorial for somebody. So it's really special and so it's very, very important for our staff to make sure the roses are in good health and replaced if they might die, um, are well staked, you know, mm. all that sort of thing. And, um, and yeah. are the ashes, so I'm just getting yeah. from a very sort of pragmatic yeah. point of view here, are the ashes in plastic containers or do, do they eventually seep <clears throat> into the ground and no, feed no. the roses? No, they are in plastic containers yep. and depending on um, the arrangements, they might be in those containers for 25 years or they might be in that container in perpetuity. Right. Um, but if people want to scatter ashes, we actually have a few cemeteries where that can happen as well, mm. notably um, uh, the one at Anderson's Creek near Warrandyte there where you can actually scatter ashes in the natural bush there. Oh, I was just thinking from a, also from a practical point of view, it'd be good to scatter them in an orchard environment and really help, you know, prepare them. Yeah, the, the next, <laughs> yeah, the or, and the for the next crop, you know, get the flowers <laughs> and the fruit happening, you know. I mean, especially for old gardeners, yeah, I reckon. Yeah, it's I, quite a poetic I, thing, I think. As a gardener, I would love to have my absolutely, ashes scattered or, yeah. you know, buried under a tree or something like that. It'd be you great. Contributed to the next crop of apricots. Yeah. For, yeah. In the end, we're all humus. <laughs> there was actually a meeting at, uh, at the, the, the the Olinda uh, Sports Recreation Hall um, just a few days ago, uh, uh, the, the um, community got together to discuss what to do about the Olinda Golf Course because there was always a problem with the Olinda Golf Course. It's made on the side of a mountain. The golf balls were always rolling off down, <laughs> disappearing in the forest. And um, anyway, the golfers gave up uh, two or three years back and they all went away. And so there's this entire golf course with... Um, Curious enough, um, uh, it's Parks Victoria land. And so the, the meeting was to decide what to do with it. And halfway through this public meeting with people making all sorts of uh, interesting uh, uh, suggestions, uh, uh, someone I know 
who I happen to know has done a study tour of America on this very subject, said it should be uh, it could be a, a woodland uh, memorial, mm. which is something which uh, is quite common in America apparently, and that's a, it's in effect it's a cemetery for scattering ashes. There's no physical memorials whatsoever, and uh, p- people. Well, they pay for the right to scatter the ashes in this memorial and and what they end up with is uh, GPS coordinates so that they know (laughs) where in the the area that the ashes have been scattered. But, of course, from the point of view of a a public area, it's a a source of income. Uh, And the point of view of the people looking for somewhere to scatter ashes, the the Olinda Golf Course is the most beautiful golf golf Mm. course in Australia as an area to walk. Uh, it's a, it's been taken over by dog walkers, including me, I might add. <laughs> it's uh, just along the, the road from Cloud Hill. And so I go walking with my border terrier quite frequently and there's, the views are just stunning. It's a magical piece of uh, land and uh, you can see the remnants of the old golf course. Uh, so it's, it's officially nice closed as a golf course? Yes, the golfers have given up and yeah. gone elsewhere. <laughs> um, so that that's uh, so. Uh, anyway, the, the meeting has been left open with, uh, with, uh, uh, with ideas still to come in, and mm. so that will be decided over the next 6, 12 months, I imagine. But one thought is to set it up uh, for this purpose. Mm. And yeah. It's an interesting... Uh, Suggestion in the light of the fact that one of the issues that cemeteries face, generally speaking, is lack of land. That's right, mm. yes. And as, as our cemeteries fill, it gets harder and harder for us to purchase land or have land and land hasn't been set aside by governments or in, in the past or what have you. So actually finding you know, burial sites for the future is a big issue for us. Mm. Mm. So. I don't know why we're not... Um, I nearly said planted while we're not buried vertically. You know, that, that would save... That would make know. much more sense. It, wouldn't it, really? And I'm sure there are some cultures which are buried vertically. No, I like the idea of scattering ashes. We, it occasionally happens at Cloud Hill, I might add. Oh, right, yes, lovely. We've, we've had several, um, generally in the, um, the bulb meadow. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm. yes. It just goes to show, you know, I started talking about rose pruning and look <laughs> <laughs> where we ended up. <laughs> so it is it is a very fascinating field. I'm sure, sure those who, who come along to learn about rose pruning don't have I think you're going to be in for lots and lots of questions on, on the, the appropriate uh, mornings, Kevin. Okay. But uh, yeah, just a quick uh, a quick uh, uh, mention again. Next Sunday, fifth of July, is out at Lilydale Memorial Park. 10 a.m. till 11:30 a.m. Then the following Sunday, 12th of July, at both Altona Memorial Park and Faulkner Memorial Park. Both of those also 10 a.m. till 11:30 a.m. And uh, for bookings, 93553106 or email events at gmct. Dot com dot au. Thanks, Kevin, for talking to us. Thanks, everyone. Good luck with those. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, that is quite fascinating. I had no idea that... 
I mean, I sort of, I suppose, had an idea that you could go for a wander around a cemetery, and I've been to the Kangaroo Ground Cemetery just to have a look for um, ancient trees. Uh-huh. Um, but it is, it's such a lovely idea, and of course the, the grounds would be quite meticulous, I would mm. imagine. Well, well, AB, next time you're coming through Eltham, you should go into Eltham Cemetery because um, there's a whole waterfall in there created by Gordon Ford. Oh, stunning. And it really yeah. is stunning. Wow. Yes. Oh, I had no idea. Yes. And and people don't realise, and they don't realise they can just wander through and have a look, you know, at, at, at the grounds itself. Mm. Yeah. You don't have to be there for any other reason but just enjoying the garden. Yeah. And, yeah. and I suppose get a sense of history at the same time. Absolutely. As to, yeah, who yeah. was planted. Who, I keep saying planted. Who was buried there <laughs> when? <laughs> I really am a gardener. <laughs> yeah, certainly country. Uh, cemeteries are really interesting uh, and the oh, old yes. gold mining cemeteries uh, well the central highlands in victoria and mm. i think the cemetery uh, uh, walking around the southern uh, no the coolgardie cemetery in western australia <laughs> a long time ago uh, and uh, um very powerful places. Mm. Yes. Mm. And, of course, the other thing we used to... Uh, Kevin used to come on this program uh, fairly regularly. And the other thing, um, as most of you probably know, he wrote an excellent book on water-wise gardening. And he used to go to cemeteries to look and see what plants had survived because often those country cemeteries had been neglected for years. Mm. Um, but there's there's... There's plants, not just roses, that have survived <laughs> over all that time right through neglect. David Glenn, I think, has stocked quite a bit of his catalogue from plants he's collected from cemeteries around the central <laughs> highlands of Victoria. There you go. Mm. You should no, have named them after the people whose graves he picked them from. I wonder, are you allowed to plant, if you have someone buried in a cemetery, can you plant your own plants around it? I, no, I think there's rules, very right. strict mm. rules. Um, and each cemetery has its own set of Rules, yeah, yes, but yep. uh, no, I know there's quite quite strict um, conditions. Mm. Mm. I do like the idea of the woodland garden for scattering ashes, mm. and I mean, think of all the Australian plants that regenerate after fire. I yep. wonder if it could be a way of encouraging, you know, it doesn't do the, any harm. That's yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, so that, it makes in the philosophy of it makes perfect sense. Of course, it mm. does. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. No, it's excellent. Um, I've had a request uh, from the outside line to. Um, to repeat the information about the uh, series of workshops next um, Saturday. Uh, now, we actually have two sets of workshops happening next Saturday. One is the ones at Cloud Hill. Jeremy, if you like to repeat those details. Um, yeah, for sure, Pam. Yes, we, we have, uh, well, uh, in the morning at uh, 9.30, I think it is, we have a... At ten thirty, scrambling for my notes. Nine thirty is far too early. Yes, there's um, 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 germinating seed uh, for beginners, Um, but uh, check with the uh, diggers people, and that they'll have all the uh, the the the, uh, details. um, Who's running the workshop? When it is, and I'm doing a workshop in the afternoon, and I most probably I'll have to be told just when, where, and when it is too. But but it's a design, a garden workshop, and um, if it's a nice day, we'll be walking around the garden and and discussing the the elements of design in Cloud Hill. Um, so or, these are these are all up at, at, at yes, Cloud Hill itself. Yeah, so it's all at Cloud Hill in the nursery. So it's a case of just giving the diggers people a hoy. There's places available for both of those workshops. Yes. So that number for those ones is nine seven five one zero five eight four, 
And that Cloud Hill, of course, is at 89 Alinda Monbog Road in Alinda. Now, the other workshops that are taking place next Saturday are the ones I mentioned out at Pepper Tree Place, which is um, on the corner of Bell Street and Sydney Road in Coburg. Now, uh, as I mentioned, there's quite a few different workshops running from 11 o'clock through to pretty much all day. Uh, the easiest way of... Um, Finding out about those is to visit the website and uh, to go to the website it's www.kildonan which is spelled K-I-L-D-O-N-A-N all one word kildonan.org.au and up will come all of those workshops but again um, free entry and uh, if you make your way um, to, out to well anytime from 10 o'clock onwards um, out to the corner of Sydney Road and uh, Bell Street in Coburg, and you'll find it all happening there. Okay, uh, we have our... Goodness me, here we are, and it's our very first call-up already. Um, <laughs> we have Jill from the Herb Society online. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, Pam. I want to tell about Penny Woodward coming to speak to the Herb Society on Thursday evening. All right. Thursday onwards. Yes. And that'll be at Burnley Horticultural College. Mm-hmm. And that's Melway 45A12, which is 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond. Well, Burnley, Richmond. And um, she's going to talk about garlic. And uh, did you see her on television um, showing and, uh, and naming all the various sorts of garlic? Yes, yep. with Jane Edmondson. <laughs> oh, with Jane, yes. Fantastic. Patty's just so knowledgeable. Anyway, she's coming to do a talk Good. and she'll have her books there if people would like to buy her books. Okay. And um, we have also a herbal supper and um, we have our own library if people want to join. And it's only, I think, $32 a year and you can join um, with having the Herb Age, our magazine online now. Excellent. Which is lovely because it's all colourful and um, uh, three-dimensional. How, how do you get on to that, Jill? Yeah. And can I also just say the Herb Society's website? Yes, sure. It's the Herb... Oh, no, sorry. Herb Society Vic. Right. One word. Dot org dot au. And I have the details of the talks and all our past talks on that. Okay. And um, also, I'm endeavouring to do a Facebook site for the Herb Society of Victoria, Richmond. Right. And, um, yes, a lady named Janice Rochford uh, set that up. And um, at the moment, it's got the big um, orange calendula with the bee and the Herb Society's logo, which is the calendula and the gum tips. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it's got a fantastic purple um, garlic flower uh, for Penny's talk. Excellent. Yeah. So, Jill, I was just wondering, to get the um, the magazine Herbage, is it, do we just go to your uh, website and then sign yeah, up? On the website, you can lo- download the form. Yep. Um, we don't sort of have that banking business, you know, where you do it with your um, card, unfortunately. So people have to then mail in their application and their cheque. Um, 
we're a bit old-fashioned still, unfortunately. <laughs> anyway, yes, if people come to the meetings, they can join there. Yes. And um, so Meredith just, Hutchinson just... does the Herb Age and does a fantastic job. Right. And um, always interesting articles. Mm-hmm. So I have to say the last article, the last um, edition had the Herb Quiz that I prepared for four rounds of herbal knowledge and um, test yourself, you know, the answers are there, cover them up and have a look. Okay. Yeah. Now just repeat the time for Penny's talk. Jill. Well, she'll actually be talking, you know, sort of 8 o'clock, but we um, start the meeting there with a short talk and a little bit of um, information about what's going on at 7.30pm. Okay. Yes, on the um, Facebook page, of course, it says 19.30, which is 7.30. Yes, of course, yeah. Yeah. Could I just ask a question myself, please? Certainly. I'm going to have to prune the Nandina Domestica um, later on. Will Will the pieces I prune off grow if I, you know, as cuttings? Do you think? Oh, well, I don't know specifically, Jill, but um, I doubt it. I'm going to have I'm not, a go. Yeah, I mean, you could, of course, but yeah, have, um, a, have a go. But we're all we're all yeah, looking not sure. Yes, yeah. a bit doubtful about it. Okay. Oh, at the moment it's looking absolutely gorgeous, you know, because it's dark red. Yes. Yes. And they've got quite tall and everything. So maybe what I'll do is be cautious and prune off a couple, leaving the rest, and then later on do. Them all anyway. Yeah, and, and just keep them well protected. Well, when I pruned the roses, I um, every year when I prune the roses, I um, make cuttings and um, I sometimes get, you know, a one out of eight or something like that. Yeah. Um, get roots. Yeah. My, my, my experience yeah. that most suckling plants do grow from cuttings quite well, but uh, I've never tried. No. No, they're, they're <laughs> For well, me, it's always the, the bother has been the, to um, stop it from growing. <laughs> Stephen suggested that I prune the, is it Meliotis, you know, the honey locust? Yep. Um, in the summer, um, and I was going to try, you know, some pieces of that as well. Well, look, give, give them all a go and bring us back if you have well, any you success. Know, success. Absolutely. <laughs> thanks, Pam. Okay, thanks, thanks everybody. Bye. 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 Uh, we've had another request, AB, to uh, to name the beneficial herb you were discussing. Now, you discussed two Chia. herbs. Chia is probably Chia. the most... Or, well, they're both beneficial, really, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, both they the are. stinging nettle, which is the Urtica dioica, or the Chia, which is uh, Salvia hispanica. And um, well, really, I wouldn't know where you got seed of the... Um, Stinging nettle, unless you mm. came across a clump of it. But um, if you did come across a clump I'd, and you wanted it in your garden or in a pot, I'd just dig it up and bring it home. Um, I know New Gippsland seed sells oh, do seed they? of stinging nettle, oh, and okay. I think yes, if you look around, probably some of the other um, organic seed uh, 
suppliers yeah would have probably it. yeah there's there's a few there, out there, there is which... a bit of demand for it yeah, these days. yeah yeah and the the chia seed i know is available at a couple of places online so yes you, so you could get that but um I, I purchased dandelion seed a while ago which sounds ridiculous i know but i thought <laughs> i'd give that a go and ironically it would not grow i'm like come on guys i'm giving you Can't the best advantage weed. here <laughs> and but i mean of course they're fine in the garden but no i couldn't get them to grow in the glass house it was quite quite depressing really <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that was um, stinging nettle or cheer. Yep, excellent. Yep. All right, next we're going to Anne, who's out in Oak Park. Good morning, Anne. Oh, good morning, panel. Um, I want to talk this morning about Park apricots. Uh, I've got a Park bare-rooted apricot tree. Now, when I plant it, do I dig a hole and place the bare roots in vertically or do I... Uh, Spread them out flat. Spread them out. Yep, my, but not my, flat. My advice would be to um, dig dig your hole and then make a pile of soil in the middle of the hole and then spread the roots out around that pile of soil and then fill it in on top of it and you should be sweet. And press it down firmly so there's no trapped air in around the roots. Yep, absolutely. Right, mm. and do I trim the roots back at all? It wouldn't hurt, particularly if they've been damaged, and trim the top of the tree as well. Mm. And I'd also soak the roots in um, in a seaweed solution before you actually plant it. Soak the roots. And also the, another quick tip is also to pour a bucket of water in the hole the night before and just let that let soak that through. Let that drain yeah. through, yes. Just ordinary water. Yep. Uh, when do I prune it? Before, as well, you're as you plant it. it. I mean, prune, so, prune quite hard. Yes. Uh, you, you only need a few buds, and uh, the, the plant's lost nearly all its root system in, in being dug up uh, in the autumn. And so you've got to compensate for that. So you need to take pretty well all the top off, and, and hopefully you, you can take it off in such a way that uh, you uh, create a, a good structure for the uh, tree to be. Yes. Right. So yeah. it doesn't hurt to prune hard. Oh, no. No, it's critical that it's you do. It's good that you do. Right. Um, when do I fertilise it? Well, not till springtime. Oh, not, not till springtime. Yeah. It won't take up any food. Well, probably late winter, actually, because apricots are, you know, starting to come on then, really, aren't they? They're the first of the ones They're to start the first, flowering. Yes. Yeah, yes. so maybe late winter, just start applying late some. Late winter. And how frequently would I water it? Oh, you've got to, you've got to get it established. So, you know, once a week. Once a week. During dry periods. They're yes. pretty tough trees. They are pretty tough trees, mm. but, but when it's just undergone that whole transplant shock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's for no, sure. You, just, you need to look after it for the spring, but uh, gee. There's I'm... just one other thing. Yeah. Um, about how tall do they grow and how big? This one says four by four. Mm, Um, Ours is actually quite a bit smaller than that. mm. Ours is probably about three, but it's quite wide. Mm. Um, So, yeah, it it really depends on the situation that you've got it in. What do you think, Jeremy? Yes, it depends on the soil. Yes, yes, we we had one in Western Australia growing in horrible rocky soil and no water uh, at all during the summer and... uh, yeah, it would seed, and the seedlings would somehow grow. They are tough trees, incredibly mm. tough trees, and that was around about um, three and a half, four metres from memory. But yes. in better going, uh, they'll 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 grow bigger. Yeah, and they now, usually grow quite wide. Uh, just one last question. Um, it says on the label that I got on it that it doesn't like wind. I, I haven't got any choice. I've got to plant it out in the open. 
Oh, the, the only trouble with that I found, Anne, is that um, the second any wind comes up in spring, late winter and spring, all the flowers are blown off. And that, that's the that's your main problem. Yeah, it, it will. If you can, can you uh, construct a sort of hessian or um, that, that sort of um, thing around it or, on the side of the prevailing wind? Uh, just you know, just even yes. for the first season, just to protect it. A hessian cloth over it, just around it. Just so around put some it. stakes around, around it, it. You know, just around one side of it where you know the most damaging winds are coming from, and um, yeah, just protect it that way. Okay then. Well, thank you very much, Pepper. You've been very helpful, and I do appreciate it. Okay, that's fine. Right. Bye bye. Right, next up we've got Fermi online. Good morning, Fermi. Good morning, how are you? Oh, um, we're all well. I've um, thought I'd better give... I don't think you've got our latest um, Fernie Creek um, information. No, I mention. haven't. Okay, so I'd better let you know that next... Um, uh, the first meeting for July, which is only next week, I think. Okay. Too, yes. Is um, it's going to be the fourth of July? So we've got Gary Reed, oh. who many of uh, your uh, listeners will know, is uh, the uh, the purveyor of fine and uh, ex- um, interesting bulbs. I think he he calls himself uh, is going to be talking about uh, wildflowers of America. Wonderful. Thought, thought appropriately for the fourth of July. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so mostly, he said uh, it's going to be West Coast uh, flowers from California through to Oregon. And some a little bit from the east coast as well, so, and of course mostly bulbs. But yes, we can't. Uh, we can only hope for that sort of a, that sort of thing. And of course, the a lot of the uh, we were, you were talking earlier about um, the South African bulbs that do so well in Australia, and of course they're from that Mediterranean type of climate. And the west coast of America has got a similar climate. So a lot of the Western American bulbs, things like the calicortus and the erythroniums and things like that, do very well in Australia as well. Mm. So what time's that meeting again, Fermi? Oh, it's a two o'clock meeting. Yes. And um, uh, it's uh, not just for Fernie Creek members. All, all members of the public are welcome to come. But Excellent. But it's good, nice to come and uh, introduce yourself. Yes. And... Um, if you are coming, it, it's sort of like the old idea of a ladies bring a plate, but if anybody bring a plate, just to share for afternoon tea, and then we, we put on tea and coffee there. Wonderful. Okay, so, so that's going to be up in the Fernie Creek Hall, I presume. And the Fernie Creek Hall, which yes. is technically not actually in Fernie Creek. No. <laughs> but um, the, 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 it's, um, it's uh, uh, fairly easy to find if you're coming up the Dandenong Tourist Road to take the turn that, that goes through, um, through Callista. And there's usually a sign up. Of the, um, our meetings always seem to coincide with the Callista Market. But uh, where you turn just before the um, the Conifer Gardens Nursery, and you were talking about that uh, a few weeks ago, so people can always come up early and go and visit that nursery, and then come along to us. Excellent. And, and the other thing is that we always have a door prize, which is um, you know um, there's always something members bring along plants from their gardens. We even had somebody bake a fresh loaf of sourdough bread, and that was a that was one of our door prizes one week. Fantastic. You never know what's going to turn you up. You never know what's going to turn up. <laughs> That's wonderful. Okay, thanks very much for that, Tony. Okay. Thanks Bye. a lot. Bye. Oh, I love that idea. Sourdough as a prize. <laughs> yes. <Yum. laughs> we've, we've had a message from the outside line. Christina um, in Lingatha, she's rung to say that all her Nandinas are from cuttings. Oh, so but, there but you, you wouldn't do it now, would you? <laughs> 
I wouldn't have thought you'd do I, I mean, it now. I mean, I would have waited until, you know, least late winter, early spring. Yeah, that's probably. Yeah. Yes, mm. I would wait till, personally, I would wait till, till spring, yeah. early spring. Mm. Yeah, mm. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, this year we're, you know, just getting back to apricots, actually, not talking about nandinas. Um, we've got an apricot tree that's been in probably, I don't know, six or seven years now, covered in blossoms every year. And I think we've had about, I don't know, maybe one and a half apricots. It's really <laughs> depressing. It's meant to be self-fertile, but this year I'm putting in another one. I'm just uh, I'm determined to have apricots at some point. But um, it, it just got me thinking, Jeremy, when you were saying how hardy they are. And I'm just thinking maybe I give it too much love and attention. You know, it does get I fed really well and watered. I wouldn't be too surprised you would uh, – this was growing in rock, yeah. shaly rock and, and just in such – very, very tough conditions. Mm. Um, 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 most fruit trees would die. Mm. Um, almonds, apricots, plums at a pinch. Uh, but it, it's it's one of the toughest of all the fruit trees. Mm. Actually, I did have a go at growing a weeping apricot there, but unfortunately the uh, I, was, I was sent the thing bare roots, and at that stage I had no idea that the weeping apricot is not really an apricot at all, right. <laughs> and, um, and it, it failed to survive. Yeah. Um, and um, it's a bit of a mystery how a nursery was offering in Western Australia at all back in the – well, this is 1970s there, I say. Uh, but, we, um, but it's a plant I've kept track of, and we've actually got one flowering at the moment. Uh, so what we're talking about here is Prunus mumae, which uh, – in fact, I Googled this just before I came because it's such a mysterious thing – and it's actually uh, it's a species. It's a little uh, group of uh, it's a species which comes between a plum and an apricot. Really, um, it looks like an apricot. It has the same sort of leaves, and the fruit uh, looks very similar. And if you uh, open one up and smell it, it smells like an apricot. Okay. And then you taste it; it's really astringent. Right. We had a border collie who could manage about two or three, and then he had to stop and come back next day. So it was on about that level, you know, stop a border collie. Wow. Yes. Um, and, um, but, um, yeah, they're, they're, as I said, it's not a true apricot, uh, it's, but it is used for culinary purpose and also medicinal, uh, for pharmaceutical purposes right. in China. Okay. Uh, and um, so much better than... Poor old rhinos and bears, oh, yeah, <laughs> all these yeah. things. <laughs> but uh, but there are active ingredients in these things. But uh, but it's also uh, it, they make a plum sauce out of it. So when you go oh. to restaurants and you serve plum sauce, mm. the plum they're talking about is not really a plum. It's act- and it's not really an apricot either. It's a prince mume. Okay. Now they happen to be incredibly ornamental trees, and they flower now. Right. That's the thing about it. Ours is in full flower right now. And it started flowering the last few days of May. And it's been flowering through June. It'll be flowering through July. And it'll have a few flowers for August. Well, that's it's fantastic. It's the most, most extraordinary thing. Yeah. The, the flowers are uh, – now, the one we have is there's, there's two or three upright forms, uh, quite attractive flowers, various shades of pink. The weeping form that we have, uh, Prentice Mermaid Pendula, has a mid-pink flower, semi-double, with an extraordinary perfume. Really? And, and a, a, a tree, a, a reasonable-sized tree, and they're quite a vigorous tree, uh, will throw the perfume for hundreds of metres. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing. Very, very warm, rich perfume. 
uh, which you can catch on the wind uh, halfway down the street from the tree. <laughs> yeah. well, what a stunning tree to have mm. in the garden. Yeah. Yeah, There's we, so little that's out in flower oh, in, in time, trees. Yeah. 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 So even the weeping form has apricots, so it yes. has the fruit. Has the fruit. And uh, it produces quite a bit. Right. Mm. Interesting mm. that it's its own species and not the, you know, the cultivar, the plum cot. You know, that, that. Yeah. No, no the apprentice mermaid, they're, they're from China. Yeah. Uh, the tree apricots are from Iran, I think. And uh, plums, I think. Well, there's quite a few different plums, aren't there? So, oh, yes, uh, yeah, right. the, I mean, the prunus are huge, huge. Uh, I mean, uh, you, you, they need serious study to come to grips with the prunus. Yes, yes. Well, how fascinating. Um, don't forget, uh, listeners, that we are running through until 9.15. If you want to jump on the phone and ask a gardening question, um, do give us a call. The number is 94190155 to speak to the team on air or to have a chat to Derek on the outside line 94198377. We haven't got to your other My plant. My last little plant. I yes. haven't just brought a random weed in. That's Good. A grass <laughs> that's growing in a pot, although it does look exactly like grass and that's because it is grass. And it's my um, Symbopogon citronus, oh, citratus, I think it is, um, which is lemongrass. And uh, it's one that I'm currently growing in the glass house and it's responding really well to being kept in the glass house I suppose as it's not being eaten by anything it's always a good thing um, I'm keeping it slightly moist they do like a moist condition um, it does prefer full sun and it's uh, my glass house has got has got shade cloth over it but it's still quite a bright area um, and they they you know, I think grow to about, you know, roughly a metre and quite a really nice big grassy clump. So they're quite an ornamental grass. Yes. Um, but, I mean, I've got a few lemony things happening in the garden. I've got the Bacchausia citradora, which is the lemon-scented myrtle, and the um, unfortunately got a lemon verbena, which I didn't realise was as weedy as normal mint and now pops up all over the place but it's you know nice for putting in a, a cup of hot water and the same with this one um, you know you can use either the leaves just scrunched up in, in a glass of or a cup of hot water or of course the roots which are um, classically used in um, the Tom Yum Tom Yum Goong um, Vietnamese yeah, I think it's hot and spicy prawn soup which yes. is a yeah a, a classic ingredient for that recipe and um but you can use the the roots and stir fries and all sorts i mean it is a, a fairly common one but it's it's a lovely one and it's a pretty looking plant at the same time so a typical grassy looking plant and it is from the grass family but mm. yeah it's, mm. it's it's nice to have and i have to say the glass house is sort of bursting at the moment which is which is nice and i've been experimenting growing plants out of season and i find it really funny you know basil got all excited and and germinated and came up and then went oh what have you done to us you horrible person we are not going any further and it sat there with two leaves and it's not dying it but it's um certainly not living um whereas the watercress and the warrigal greens uh, which I put in a couple of months ago and they sat there for a while not wanting to do anything either but then as soon as that cold weather started coming in they are the ones which started thriving and, mm. yes. and started moving and it's to me it's absolutely fascinating seeing what they do and I've got a you know tomatoes I put in 
a few months ago, um, got some seeds germinating and, um, you know, they've reached maybe 20 centimetres and not doing anything more. But I'm thinking that's great because this year we're going to have great tomatoes. They're going to be ready to go nice and early. Um, so, yeah, it's very, very interesting. We've got strawberries growing in the glasshouse now as well, which is which is rather nice, and um, a bunch of succulents, which I'm um, growing on for somebody's wedding in January. So, okay. it's, yeah, the glasshouse is looking rather nice and full at the moment. So are you planning to put any of these out in the garden eventually? Uh, yeah, I think, well, the tomatoes will go out yes. um, eventually. But just I'm, I like to see what they do in that glasshouse environment when it does get so cold in winter. I've got silver which will obviously go out. In fact, that'll go out in the next few days um, and various um, ornamental plants as well, which will go out. But um, yeah, I, I just, uh, I like having stuff that you can just go into the glass house and pick. Of course, lots of herbs, you yes. know, which is, which is always nice. But um, yes, I mean, the silver beet and, and warrigal greens, it's just nice to be able to pop into the glass house and pick a few quickly. Yep. Um, but, I, yeah. a, a word of warning with your warrigal greens. I yeah. wouldn't be putting those out into the garden. Oh, they're another weedy <laughs> one, are oh, they? It's a, it's really? A thug. Oh, even, even down here. That yes. surprises oh, me. Oh, it's a thug. Oh. I made the mistake of growing it in my vegetable garden. Yeah. It took over the whole vegetable garden. Wow. And then, of course, some went through the compost and it came oh, up everywhere. Thanks for that warning. It's taken me years to actually eradicate it completely from the garden. Oh, maybe I'll leave wow. it in the glass. It's, 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 in a, it's in a hanging pot, so it's trailing down yes, and, or it's starting to trail down. And it will it actually nice. climb up vertically over <laughs> other plants. So don't put it in the garden. Right, okay. Gee, that's always interesting to know, isn't it? The the plants that are really quite dangerous in the garden. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 What what about you guys? You got anything that you sort of put in that escaped and you didn't know about? <laughs> oh, I was surprised. Jeremy's like, yeah, he's like, oh, well, what haven't we got? <laughs> yeah, it's just amazing what can turn weedy. And, yeah. Uh, yeah we, Especially um, in your all soil. All sorts. Oh, oh, gosh, I've got a little tail away from one end of the garden to the other. Oh, it's, I mean, it's, even the lemongrass. Now, I, I was just trying to think. Of it. I mean, obviously that's um, from Southeast Asia, but I'm pretty certain there's native species of lemongrass. Is, do you know, James? Lemon, so, native species of lemongrass. Yeah. No, I'm not sure. No. In, in the, in the genus. Vaguely. Now, look, yeah. I must probably uh, – I'm, I'm racking my mind from um, 10 years back, but I'm fairly sure someone saw a – um, hillside of grass growing in WA of all places, uh, and perennial grasses there growing through the the uh, very bone dry summers are pretty unusual. But there was it was a lemongrass. Right, oh, um, I would have to check yeah, that out. Yeah, yeah. so uh, but uh, oh well, <laughs> we're. we're uh, uh, in the last few months, we've, we've had a big campaign to put root barriers around our bamboos. And, oh, right. uh, yes, and. Uh, uh, after seeing the bamboosery in in um, para France and uh, in the south of France, and and uh, um, um, had a chance to to see this amazing garden west of Arles, and 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 I arrived with this uh, it was a, a tour group and and um, walking around with a group of people and and commenting on the bamboos, and I was recognising every single one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the big difference is that the the bamboos in uh, the bamboozery, um, 
were growing on this beautiful soil, little streams trickling through and limestone hills each side and lovely sunshine and not too much frost. And they've been planted in 1865, whereas ours had only been in the ground for four or five years. And I, 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 literally, I was thinking, golly, the first thing I do when I get home is, is go to a bit more trouble with root barriers. We, yes. we did have rough and ready root barriers, but that's, that's as where we're putting in the – Digger's shop, that was one of our jobs, to put big trenches around. And mm. It was interesting, though, because we only had to go down about uh, 50, 60 centimetres, and then the, the, all the, the rhizomes were within, the, within about 30 centimetres of the uh, surface. Okay. And so it was quite easy to control them. Yes, mm. yes. I know Stephen's but, got a clump, Stephen Ryan, and he mm. keeps his well contained, doesn't he? You know, he's got well, the I've, root barrier the whole way around. He does have root barriers. Now, I, I know at one stage he was relying on trenches in, in the bamboozery, <laughs> I, I, I should point out they do rely on trenches, but their individual clumps constitute oh, a best part of a hectare each for each specimen. Mm. Oh, they are extraordinary and, and magnificent, but huge. And, and just uh, so you, you, you have an entire grove for each specimen, whereas we have a little clump. Yeah. Yes, mm. yes. I, I also noticed in, in many of the gardens we visited in, in northern Italy, um, a lot of those gardens had... had vast, um, um, you know, stretches of, of bamboo, but they also were finding that they weren't being able to contain them and they were really having to um, to do whatever they could to try and somehow keep them contained in some way, but uh, they were yeah. escaping from them. But, but at the same time, the, in Japan, they, they, they use just about every bamboo you can think of in their ornamental gardens yes. and, and highly intricate, uh, intricate gardens and, and quite aggressive bamboos, mm. and they just plant them properly. I think that it, it, it's a classic example of a plant that needs to be thought about as you put in. Yes. It, it, you do have to have root barriers. I mean, there's a strong argument um, that the running bamboos are actually a, a safer plant in the garden than the clumping bamboos. Yeah, I've because, had people say that to me. Yeah, before. because the clumping bamboos still move sideways, and they move sideways with the force of a bulldozer, whereas the, the running bamboos are fairly gentle in their growth. So long as you contain the the rhizomes. Yes. Yeah. Mm, actually, Cairns Botanic Garden. I've got a lovely stand of them. I don't know if they have a weed issue. That didn't seem to be the sort of paths around it. So maybe they've installed root barriers there. But there's nothing like seeing that really mature stand of bamboo, isn't it? You know, oh, and hearing the wind through yeah. bamboo mm, yeah. is stunning. It's it's just wonderful. Yeah. And of course, bamboo. It, I mean, its uses are incredible in the garden. I mean, if if you, you, you can use it for stakes, all mm. sorts of construction ideas. Mm. You can you can weave with it while it's young, you know, to create little fences and you can do some wonderful things with bamboo. Yeah, so, um, yeah. It does have its uses. It just needs to be contained. Yeah, it is one mm. of those more sustainable plants that we're starting to see more and more for flooring and, and um, whatnot, isn't it? Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's a fabulous thing. It just needs thought as you're planting. And it's actually a low-maintenance plant. If it's planted carefully, it's a low-maintenance plant. Much compared with the rose guard, oh, a, fraction, a fraction of the uh, maintenance level. Um, but uh, but a, a couple of hours' effort as you pop it in, that, that's all it requires. Yeah, it would be very interesting to talk to somebody from Japan who has maintained mm. it over there and see if there is particular planting practices that they use to contain it in some way. Or, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. James, what's coming up on Gardening Australia? 
Any exciting stories coming? Um, the 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 bloke that I was talking about before um, with the with the collection of um, well, he's got more than just uh, South African bulbs. Um, he's he's mainly a uh, palm and cycad lover, but he's got he's got this cracker garden full of aloe species and agave species, and it's just out of this world. Um, so have a look out for that. Yeah, it's 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 a great great story, um, and the plants in it are just just amazing. It blew it blew Josh Byrne away. Yeah, he absolutely loved it. Sound like they would be perfect for the Perth soils or the West Australia soils? Yeah, yeah, that was one of the reasons that attracted him to growing those sorts of plants initially. Um, and then uh, when he retired, it just became an all-consuming passion. And um, one of the ways that he has gone about learning about the cultivation of those plants is to actually go and see them in their natural environment. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. He's been back and forth um, to Africa quite a lot in the last twelve or fifteen years to okay. go and see to go and see specific species um, in their natural home, um, which is which is great. I wish I could do that. Just yes. you know, <laughs> so go nick off to Africa to go see how my little bulbs <laughs> <laughs> grow. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's a that's a great story and visually visually stunning, beautiful. So yeah, that's that's definitely one to have a look out for. Okay, yep. any any Victorian stories? That you can think of. Um, I, I always get put on the spot whenever you ask me. I should, I should have a look at <laughs> you the. You should um, do your homework. Yeah, before I, you know, come in. I know. I know. I should. Um, but this time of year, we're putting a lot of stuff to air that we that we were shooting kind of um, late last year. Um, so, so I, yeah. I know Angus has done a follow up story on the long stem planting. Yeah, oh, he has. has he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be yeah. that'll be going to air probably um, in the next in the next month or six weeks. Yeah. I think. Right. Um, yeah. But he's been doing a great series of stories lately, um, you know, uh, amending potting mixes so you can extend their usefulness, um, you know, beyond just growing a pot plant, you know, using mm-hmm. it for propagation or even seed raising. or um, So lots of great practical information like that that mm. Angus has been doing lately and the long stem planting one, the follow-up, yeah. so that's good. Yeah. Well, that really took took the listening public by storm when oh. you ran that first story. Mm. Absolutely. And that People was amazed. Um, yeah, it was a, a technique developed by a gentleman in, in New South Wales called uh, Bill Hicks, I think his name is. And he developed the – it was called um, – uh, I'm just trying, oh yeah, it was called long stem planting at the time, and he de- he developed this technique which was for um, river and stream revegetation areas just to um, stop the erosion along streams right. and whatnot. And he grew these plants, um, you know, acacia species and, and various other native species to you know a meter tall in in tubes, and then dug these you know. 80 70 centimeter holes and and put the whole plant in mm. and um the it was absolutely incredible because of course all the plants they rooted at all the nodes where there would usually be leaves and so it created these incredibly stable plants mm. which had you know um a huge root zone area compared to you know just planting them in normally mm. and of course it goes against everything that we've been taught you know you plant you plant the plant to the level that yeah. it was in the pot I, I remember right. when that story went to air on gardening australia um and and seeing him drill this huge hole with an auger and then yeah. popping this plant in it I was just going <gasps> yeah 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 <laughs> what are you yeah, doing <laughs> yeah yeah and it's now I mean we Angus and I've just finished writing a, a book on Australian gardens and how to create a, an Australian garden and we've got a section in there on 
um, what we're calling um, deep planting as opposed to long stem planting because long stem, it, 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 you know, you grow that one particular plant to as tall as you possibly can and pick off any side shoots just to encourage that really tall growth. But um, deep planting, you basically can take any plant that you've grown in a pot and, you you know, you might pull off a few of the side branches and, and leaves and whatnot and plant it much deeper than you would usually. Mm. And um, some of the results have been quite spectacular but I have to say it does depend on what soil you're putting it in like I've tried it in my garden and really very very limited success you know the plants don't um, die but they certainly I'm not having the results that Angus was having at you know his property and and um, up in New South Wales where the soils are much looser and much richer and uh, much more aerated and I mean he's experimented with all sorts of natives up there and and the 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 growth you know first of all not only are these plants really really healthy but the growth has just been you know double of what you'd see if it if it was planted normally and um, after recent storms, he went back and, and checked them all out. And um, a lot of the trees that hadn't been planted, deep planted, um, had fallen over. And um, all of the ones that were deep planted were absolutely fine. So I think if you've got a, a fairly loose soil, it's definitely um, give it a go, mm. you know, because you can really extend the life of your plant and give it a, a really good start. Well, it makes sense because it's got more roots to anchor it, but it's also got more roots to draw in the nourishment. That's exactly right, yeah. So it it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I've I've done it with tomatoes and found that that works perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. It's a classic plant to do it with because, I mean, as, you know, some people might know, this um, plant cells at the nodes where the stems or leaves come out, they, you know, they, they can differentiate. They can either become stems or leaves or roots depending on the conditions that you put them in. So if you plant, if you pull off a leaf and plant it, it'll go, well, hang on a sec, I'm not above ground anymore. I'll chuck out a root here rather than a leaf. Yes. So, I mean, plants are pretty clever like that. Oh, they're amazingly <laughs> yeah. clever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Je- Jeremy is sitting there frowning at me like he absolutely can't believe it. <laughs> I think you need to give it a go at Cloud Hill, Jeremy. Yeah, I think so. No, I, no it's, it, I, unfortunately, I missed that episode, but I'm, I'm absolutely intrigued. Yeah. Um, well, you have to wait for mm. our book. Yeah. December. <laughs> Study closely. Yeah. Well, we'll have to wait for this next episode to come out. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Fascinating. Um, before we have to finish up... Um, We've got a couple of requests from outside. Um, another request for the phone number to book for the rose pruning at the cemetery. Uh, that number is nine three double five three one zero six. That's nine three double five three one zero six. And a listener would like Jeremy to repeat and spell the botanic name of the apricot tree. Yeah, I should have spelt it because the the the, the the um, pronunciation is a little odd. Mume is M-U-M-E. Uh, so Prunus, M-U-M-E, Mume. Mume. Yeah, and yes. Pendula is the, the one that... The uh, weeping form. Yeah, the weeping form. There are upright forms available. Um, one little trick, because they're flowering in winter, they're never quite dormant in the, in the way of ordinary Prunus, <laughs> and so it's best to buy them potted. I feel, and uh, already establishing a pot, or you've got to be very, very careful establishing them. Right. Uh, if you're buying them bare roots, and yes. you must probably establish them into a potting mix and, and then plant them the second year mm-hmm. and cut back really hard, just do two or three buds. Uh, 
uh, as you put into the potting mix. Mm. What 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 size would it get to, Jeremy? And what spread? Uh, the pendula is is quite strong, and and um, it's generally. Um, grafted at a one half two meters or so, but the, the, it will send up shoots another two, three, four meters, and okay. then then they, it's a very elegant. Uh, it has a very elegant growth habit. It, it just swoops up and then hangs down like a weeping willow almost. Wow! Uh, so it, it's 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 a very effective weeping tree. It eventually forms a kind of a candelabra affair in the middle of the. Uh, Branch structure. Okay. Um, a friend of mine grew a magnificent one in the lawn. Um, tall bloke, over six feet, and he he as the branches were coming back to earth again, he just pruned everything off at uh, about. Two and a half meters or so, so he could walk underneath his <laughs> his weeping tree, and it, the total height would have been about four or five meters, and okay. it was spreading out about three four meters. But because he could walk in underneath, it was not. It, it wasn't using that much space. It was yes, a, it's a long specimen. Yes. Very spectacular. Gorgeous. So if people go to Cloud Hill now, they will see it yep. in flower. Yeah, it's flowering and they can come over the next four, five, six weeks and they'll still be flowering. Yep. <laughs> and, of course, if they if you go up to Cloud Hill, you know, yeah, snow drops. Uh, yeah, snow drops and yes. various other things happening yes. as well. But also what's going to be happening is the art. The exhibition the especially, yes. yes. The, the, uh, the, well, six different artists and, and uh, well, about, f- about 50, 60 pieces uh, all together. And it, it, it looks rather dramatic spread around the garden. Absolutely. And if you give Jeremy a, a call, um, you can find out exactly when Ian Maher is going to be working on his piece. Yep, and come along and chat. Yes, <laughs> Don't distract watch, him watch too in much. disbelief. Watch in disbelief and <laughs> chat away. <laughs> well, I'm afraid we've run out of time for yet another week. Um, a big thank you to the team on air and also to uh, Jan and Derek who've been working all the phones for us. We'll, of course, be back at 7.30 next week. Until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.